Good morning, Mission View. If you have your Bible apps or your Bibles, go with me to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs, uh, the first chapter. My wife and I spent our honeymoon in Hawaii, and we went to uh, three different islands. We started out in the city of Honolulu, and then we went to the island of Kauai. And while we were in the island of Kauai, one of the things we wanted to do one day is we wanted to go on a, a zip lining excursion. And it was absolutely incredible. The views were breathtaking. If you're ever in Kauai, go do it. It's worth the money. It's 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 great experience. Well, while we were out there, we we developed a rapport with some of the guides that were that were leading the trip, and they started talking to each of us about what we had done so far in Hawaii and what we wanted to do before we went home. And so we told them that we were about to visit the third island and we were about to go to Maui. And the guide who, who was from Maui, he told us that we had to go and watch a sunset at Haleakala. And that's a huge, huge volcanic mountain in Maui. And, and he told us to go there and watch the sunset. It will be the most beautiful sunset that you ever see but dress warm, because even though it's Hawaii, it gets really, really, really cold. And then a couple other people on the trip started chiming in who'd already been to Maui, who'd been to that mountain to watch the sunset, and they said, no, it gets really, 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 really cold. Wear winter clothes. Now, yours truly has never been cold in his life. I'm the guy that wants to set the air conditioning at 65 and freeze my family out. And so I'm thinking, <laughs> these wimps, well, Samoans, we're so tough. You don't know how to handle cold like Brian personally knows how to handle cold. Born and bred in Akron, Ohio, I know how to handle cold. And so we went to Maui, and the first night we were there, we wanted to go, and we wanted to go see the sunset. And so as we're in our room and we're getting ready, Brooke is dressing like she's going skiing. And she looks at me as I have shorts and a T-shirt on, and she says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm getting ready to go watch a sunset. She said, they told you it was going to be cold. I said, they don't know how to handle cold. I know how to handle cold. She said, you probably should listen to the guide and to the people who were there. I said, I've got this covered. I've got it handled. And so we made the hour drive. We made the hour drive to, to where we were going to go up the mountain to watch the sunset. And it was absolutely breathtaking. The views were incredible. And, and we drove up and we began to see the sunset and we began to see all the different colors of the night sky change. And we began to freeze as the temperatures dropped from 60 to the high 30s at night. You see, this mountain's one of only three places in Hawaii that gets snow. And I'm standing out there in flip-flops, shorts, and my shirt. And I grab my wife's hand and I look into her eyes and I say, I love spending this time with you. And she smiles. And, and, you know, we're at the honeymoon stage, so you really mean all of this stuff. No, I'm just kidding. So you, I'm looking into her eyes. I say, I'm so glad that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you, with only you. And now we're one. She's looking at me just eye to eye. I said, seeing as how we're one, baby, I need to borrow your jacket for a minute. And there I stood on a mountain in Hawaii, watching a sunset with my legs shaking and me cramming my arms into a women's jacket. 
for just a moment as I could find just a little bit of warmth as we watched the sun set. It was beautiful, but it was freezing. And everyone who we talked to in advance told us, dress warm. But I'm like, I got this. I got this. I didn't have it. I was freezing. It was entirely too cold. As we look at wisdom, what we're going to see is wisdom is not subtle. Wisdom is not quiet suggestion. Wisdom is loud. Wisdom is people telling you from the top of their lungs, go this route. Do this. So often temptation comes to us, and when temptation comes to us, it comes to us quietly. It comes as a whisper. It comes as a hint. Wisdom is the opposite. Wisdom boldly proclaims the course of action that we should take. The question is, will we listen? Will we listen? When wisdom comes, when wisdom is proclaimed, will we listen? Proverbs 1, 20 through 22 says this. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Wisdom cries aloud in the street. And the market, she raises her voice at the head of the noisy street. She cries out. She demands to be noticed. She's screaming out. One of my friends had one of the greatest ideas of all time to punk his parents. They bought a Prius, and he was thinking, oh, that's a little girly car. And so he thought with a little girly car, the Prius, he, he went in and he honked their horn, and he was like, yeah, girly horn. And so while they were away one time, he went to an AutoZone, and he bought one of those kits where you can buy a truck horn. And he installed the truck horn somehow, he's very mechanical, into, into the Prius. And so when they laid on their horn the first time, it scared not only everybody on the street around them, but it scared them as they were sitting in their car. Because a Prius horn, it doesn't necessarily demand that you pay attention. A truck horn coming out of a Prius necessarily demands that you pay attention. It gets people's attention. This is wisdom. Wisdom is standing at the street with a bullhorn yelling out the truth. It is not subtle. It is not quiet. It's available. The question is, will we heed? Will we heed? And this ushers in another problem that we see in verse 22. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? And this introduces to us a problem that is a cancer. And it's the problem of complacency. As wisdom looks at the simple, they're content to remain simple. 
They're complacent with where they are in life. In the past couple weeks, there's been some division in the Mission View offices between the pastoral staff. See, a couple weeks ago, LeBron James made it pretty well known that he wanted to be a free agent. And the majority of our staff wants LeBron to come back. I am not the majority. I remember how he went on national television and how he dumped the city of Cleveland right there for all to see. And if the Cavs take him back, I will not cheer for the Cleveland Cavs. Now, is LeBron James the greatest basketball player in the universe? Absolutely. Unquestionable. Do I want him on my team? Nope. I'm not. Call me a jaded lover. Call me whatever you want to. I do not want him on the basketball team that I cheer for. I will not be happy with that. LeBron James was lured to Miami a few years ago with two other phenomenal, phenomenal players in the NBA, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, by a mastermind named Pat Riley. Now, for those of you who don't follow basketball very closely, here's what you need to know about Pat Riley. He looks like a mobster, and he's brilliant. The guy is absolutely brilliant. And he assembles teams, and he just he understands the game of basketball. Here's what he said one time about complacency. Pat Riley said this, when a great team loses through complacency, it will constantly search for new and more intricate explanations to explain away defeat. Let me read that again. When a great team loses through complacency, it will constantly search for new and more intricate explanations to explain away defeat. See, this is the problem of complacency. It causes us to make excuses. And when we make excuses, very seldom do we look in the mirror and do the hard work that it actually takes for us to make changes in our lives. Because when we make excuses, there's always a factor that came into play, and it's the factor's fault. It's always somebody else who came into our life, and it's their fault. Very seldom when we are making excuses do we then take the next step, look in the mirror, and do the hard work that it takes to really change us. And this is the problem with complacency. It is not the path of the wise. It's not the path of the wise. But here's what's so incredibly difficult about complacency. It's easy to fall into. It's easy to become complacent, especially when you've experienced some success. So challenge yourself. Challenge yourself. How can you combat complacency? Fight it before it even happens. Set goals for yourself, real goals, and work on them. Work on them. Constantly have a list of goals that you're going after. Never lose sight of them and never quit. Work hard. And when something happens where you don't achieve your goal, where you don't achieve what you've set out to do, don't blame others. Don't blame the factors in your life because factors are going to happen. Other people are going to come and they're going to try to sidetrack you. Learn from your failure. Work on yourself. Don't 
become complacent. For it is a recipe for disaster. And it can creep up in our careers. It can creep up in our marriages. It can creep up in our churches. It can creep up everywhere. So we must be on guard against it. Must be on guard against it. But this question, how long those simple ones will you still be simple, raises another difficult truth. Not just from the complacency of the simple ones, but from the standpoint of wisdom and the feeling of helplessness as is calling out to the simple ones. And we all know, and sometimes we fight against this fact, but we all know that it's true that we cannot change other people. We can't do it. And this is so frustrating because when you see someone on just the worst path, you just want to interfere and you want to say, stop. What you're about to do is really, 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 really stupid. But as the great philosopher Ron White once said, you can't fix stupid. And we're helpless. We cannot make decisions for other people. And this is frustrating this is frustrating because so often in life, if we are wise, if we have wisdom, if we are seeking God, we see the path that other people that we love and we care about are on, and we just see that it ends in destruction, but we can't make their choices for them. We can't stop it. Can't stop it. Those of you married, have kids, you know you can't make choices for your kids. You can't when they're really little, and it's nice, but as they grow up, you can't force them to do anything. Listen, those of you who aren't married and you're dating somebody, this is vital. This is vital. Because you might want to change them. You can't. You can't. They might give off the appearance that they've changed because they want to pacify you and continue the relationship, but be very careful. Be very careful. You don't have the power to make choices for somebody else. The world would be so much better if I had that power, but God in his infinite wisdom didn't give it to me. I wish he had, but he hasn't. And here's wisdom crying out to the simple, saying, how long will you be simple? How long will you remain unchanged? If you turn in my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. I really wish somebody would design one of those nice-looking Christian cards with those verses right on the cover. That would be great. 
This isn't exactly a warm feeling. This isn't exactly something we're like, awesome. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. There's the opportunity for wisdom. And wisdom is crying out from the street. It is screaming at the top of its lungs. But it doesn't force us to listen. That's our choice. My wife didn't force me to go watch a sunset with her dressed in ski clothing. Looking back, I wish she had. She didn't. It was my choice. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. And here what we see is wisdom just releasing its grip. It's just that point where it's had enough. It's fed up. And it's angry as a result that we have not listened. When, when my son, who's a year and a half old, is out playing in the driveway, and he makes a break for the street, even though we've told him now probably a hundred times, don't run into the street, we still sprint after him, catch him, pick him up, and return him to the garage and tell him, you don't run into the street. Sixteen and a half years from now, when my son is 18 years old, and he decides he wants to run out into the street without looking, I'm not going to sprint after him. See, we understand this from life. We understand this from parenting, from friendships, from, from other aspects of life. There comes a point where after we've trained someone from, from the workplace, there comes a point where after we've trained someone accordingly, we just let go. And after somebody's worked for you for a year and they've made the same mistake that you've coached them up on and you've told them time and again, don't do this, and yet they continue to do it, you cut ties. You fire that person, and justifiably so. And if they make it a year, you're much more gracious than I. But we understand this principle from parenting, from the workplace. You don't just constantly repeat yourself with information that people should already understand and obtain. You teach, you expect people to catch on, and you move on. Sometimes they don't. They just don't grasp it. And wisdom is fed up. It's had enough. And in spite of its clear and loud warnings, it's taking a step back and saying, run into the street. And when you get hit by a truck, 
I'm going to laugh at you. I'm going to mock you. Because you didn't listen. Are we listening? Are we complacent? Are we in relationships where we're trying to make decisions and choices for other people where we can't? Are we taking heed? Are we dismissing and running straight towards disaster? Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own desires. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Bad decision after bad decision after bad decision after bad decision after bad decision leads to destruction. They've had enough. See, this is why the daily choices that we make are so important. Very, very, very seldom, no sometimes, but very seldom are the destructive things that happen to us in life a result of one poor choice. Now, that can happen. But very seldom are, are the, just the destructions that happen to us in life a result of one poor choice. Much more frequently, the case is that a series of smaller and yet significant and, and growing to become more and more frequent and more significant bad choices add up and they continue to spiral and it continues to grow and continues to become bigger and all of a sudden, before you know it, the small insignificant choices that we've made spiral into something that is incredibly big and destructive. This is why the choices you make today are important. They matter. Very seldom is a marriage lost as a result of one poor choice. It can happen. But much more frequently, it's a series of bad decisions that through time add up multiplied and it just comes to a point where the parties are fed up they've had enough in my experience working with married people especially listen when, when a woman is finally at the point 
and this isn't meant to overgeneralize, it's just my experience, when a woman's at a point where she's fed up and she's had enough, it's over. It's about half the time true with guys. Sometimes they've just been a little over-anxious. So for those of you who are newly married, here's what you need to do. When there's strife in your relationship, work it out. Work it out. Don't bury it. Discuss it. Have a dialogue. Be honest with one another. Don't allow it to snowball into something larger. Husbands, lead your wives. You set the standard. So you need to be the good example. It starts with you. Lead well. In a couple weeks, Steve's going to be talking about family dynamics, and I'm really excited for that. And, and it's something to look forward to. Listen, church, we need to be, we need to be people who have the best marriages. We need to be people who are passionately in love with our spouse. For those who aren't married, we need to be the standard bearers in purity. We need to set the standard in purity. And it's small choices along the way. Be wise in the little things. They add up. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. You know what I want? I want this to be so neat and so tidy. But it isn't. I want the fool to just die and be okay with that. But it's not that simple. It isn't that clean cut. It isn't that clear. So last Saturday night, my wife and I went to see Bruno Mars, and something entirely unexpected happened. We loved the show. It was awesome. And God wrecked me at that show. Just wrecked me. To the point on the drive home, I didn't want to talk. That night, I really couldn't sleep. I was really bothered by something. See, in the course of the night, Bruno introduced me and probably 20,000 others to a little girl named Zamaya. Zamaya was traveling with her mother, who was pregnant, and two sisters, when an impaired driver ran a red light and hit their vehicle. 
her mom, the baby, her two sisters in the car died. Zemiah lived. She survived and was left with a severe head injury. They required doctors to remove part of her skull. Nearly 70% of patients who are in this same condition don't survive. And those who do are often left without the ability to walk, talk, or eat on their own. Preteen girl. Traveling in a car with mom. An impaired driver drastically alters their life. She's made a remarkable recovery. She actually learned to, to speak again because when she would hear her favorite Bruno Mars song playing, she would start to say the words. It's, it's an incredible story. And so Bruno called her up on stage, or beside the stage, and he danced with her, gave, him, gave her his hat and his guitar. And it was great. And yet I, I was driving home, and I'm like, but what about the driver? It's just how my mind works. What about him? Eric Calhoun was that driver. He received minor injuries. And earlier this year, pled guilty to charges including four counts of aggravated vehicular homicide, two counts of aggravated vehicular assault, driving under the influence, and leaving the scene. See, before the accident, Calhoun had been drinking and smoking PCP, angel dust, and he ran a red light plowing his pickup truck into the car driven by Zamiah's mother, Maria Thorpe. Oh, he also had four previous drug traffic trafficking convictions and two previous convictions for being a felon in possession of a gun. I want neat. I want tidy. I want the drunk driver to die. I don't want the innocent family to die. I'm just being honest. It's how I'm wired. And so often I hear the drunk walks away with minor injuries. I wish this was so clear cut. And I was wrecked and I was crying out, God, I want fair. I want this world to be fair. I couldn't sleep really. God just laid in my spirit. You don't want fair. You don't want fair. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure. and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Why? That answer we find in Proverbs 1, 7. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It isn't clean. There aren't always defined boundaries. This world is messed up because sin is messes everything up. And we can cry out we want fair, but fairness ends with all of us going to hell. That's fair. Because God's standard's perfection. You want fair? That's where we're at. I don't want fair. I want grace. Because grace looks down and it sees that this world is messed up. And grace looks down and it loves us in spite of our flaws. It loves me in spite of my mistakes. And it saves me when I make stupid decisions. It looks down and it sees the drunk driver. And it says, my grace is available to you because you've made some poor decisions. But here you go. You can be forgiven and clean. Grace looks down to the victims and it says, it's not your fault, but you're still not okay. Because my standard's perfection. And here you go. It's available to you as well. I don't know where you are in life. I don't know if you're the victim. I don't know if you're the perpetrator. I don't know if you're somewhere in between. But here's what I all know. We're all perpetrators of sin, and none of us are perfect. And this world is messed up, but we don't want fair. And so grace shows up when God sends himself and his son Jesus Christ to this world to live a perfect life as the God-man, fully God and fully man. And he goes to a cross because the penalty for my sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through his son Jesus' sacrifice who dies on a cross for me, for the drunk drivers, for the victims, for all of us, and three days later raises again victoriously. That's not fair. That's grace. And I want everything to just be so tidy and so neat. But sin messes everything up. And it's available to you today. This is the start of wisdom the fear of the Lord. So in a minute, I'm going to pray. And I'm just going to invite you, if, if you're here, and you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, you can just pray something along the lines that I pray. And I want to meet together with you, and I want to talk to you as we talk about what it really means to follow God. I've got nothing going on this afternoon. I'd love to get together with you, to, to talk with you, spend some time. And this week, we can set something up. Let's be wise. And let's receive grace. Because we need it. God, I pray. I pray, God, that you'd help us see that we all need grace. God, I, I pray that we would just in spite of this messed up world that we live in. Pursue you. God, that we would take serious the call that you've put in all of our lives to, to make a difference. God, I pray for those who are here today 
who the Bible would tell us are the fools who aren't wise. Never pursued a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. God, I pray today would be the first step in a new direction. God, if anybody's here and, and they just realize in their heart and in their life that they're a sinner and they, they need to make a decision to follow you, then I pray, God, right where they're at, they would just say, God, forgive me. I've sinned. I've uh, fallen short. God, I can't do it on my own. I need the gift of your son, Jesus. I know he died on a cross for me. I know he rose again. So, God, I'm just asking that, that I would live for him. Try this on my own. I can't do it. And, God, for those who are here who've already made that decision and who are already following you, I pray, God, that we, we would try to be the solution to this messed up world. We would passionately go towards our friends and our family members, and we would just tell them of our love for you and the fact that they need you. God, make us wise. In your son, Jesus' name we pray.